but a reprieve. And so, uh, uh, with that, I am. Uh, I'm. My name's Jason. I'm one of the uh, ABF pastors here at uh, at HBF. I uh, this thing. Come on. Uh, I'm one of the ABF pastors here, and uh, I teach the young adult class, the Passpoint class. And so, um, I don't know why this thing's not working. You know what the password? Where's page? You not in here? I, that's going to be difficult. You know what the password is to this page? Uh, it's not working. This is really embarrassing. Yeah, I, you have to do it. I don't know. It's not working. I blame my daughter. She uses this for school every day, and I quit using it for teaching. And so it's got to be somebody's fault. So, not mine. Anyway, uh, so I'm the uh, Passpoint ABF pastor. This is really awkward. And, uh, uh, anyway, Brian asked me if I would uh, teach. I have that's weird. Anyway, I thought I knew what that was. Um, so uh, my family and I, we actually just got back from uh, a week away as well. We went to uh, the lake. It was kind of nice just to disconnect, and uh, we went uh, camping at the lake. It was a really good week to be camping when it was 104 outside. So uh, uh, good for us. But uh, it was it was fun. But Anyway, it was good to get away. I don't know if you know that uh, life is busy. Life is fast, uh, and you can get caught up in just uh, surviving sometimes. So it was really good to uh, disconnect, to uh, get away. And so uh, I don't know uh, about you. Uh, I always try to make sure I get time in the Word, uh, but I don't get to read a lot of books. And so I'm not much of a book reader. Um, the Passpoint class knows that about me. I don't read a lot. But I did. Uh, I took a small book with me. I wanted to just kind of Check out a little bit um, while I was sitting in the lawn chair sweating, uh, but uh, and I was I was reading this book called Humility uh, by Andrew Murray. I've read it before, and so I recommend it if you are a book reader. It's really good. But uh, anyway, I was I was reading through this and uh, trying to figure out where I was going to go today, and you know, praying about where I was going to preach. And the story in John 13 kept coming up. So if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. Uh, so the story just kept it just kept coming up, and um, it's. Uh, it's the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and so uh, most of you have heard it, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to kind of switch gears, but um, I, I think in the church today, and I don't mean just HBF, I mean the church as a whole, but you know, if the shoe fits, sometimes you have to wear it, but I think in the church today, we somehow have the mindset of humility backwards at times. Uh, I think we don't, we don't really understand what humility is, and I think sometimes we think that we want to be like Jesus, that's what we need to be, so uh, we need to uh, serve and uh, as we serve, then we think that somehow that makes us more humble because we're serving because that's what Jesus has called us to do. Um, when actually Jesus himself showed us the exact opposite in John chapter 13, Jesus was the ensample, not the example. Uh, he was the mold. He was the ensample of humility. And because he was that way, he had no other choice than to serve. Uh, he didn't serve hoping that it would make him humble. He was humble, and therefore he knew he had to serve. And as the church, that's where we uh, need to be as well. And so, uh, sorry, somewhere in my awkward introduction, uh, if you're watching online, welcome, uh, sorry. You, you always think that you're going to get through these things really seamless and it's going to be good, and it didn't work out. So if you're watching online, welcome, we're, uh, we're glad that you're watching. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, flip over to uh, John chapter 13, let's just read the first few verses here. And i got a lot I want to get through today, uh, so we'll just kind of see how it goes. But uh, John chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... 
This is within a week of before uh, the Passover was to happen. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, uh, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for uh, an example uh, such as Jesus Christ being the end sample uh, of how we uh, should serve, how we should just uh, really lay our, our pride down uh, and just... Uh, serve those who are around us, no matter what the occasion, no matter what the reason, no matter who it is and what we know, Lord, we would just uh, be humble as you were. Lord, I do pray that uh, you would just bless your word this morning. Uh, Lord, just uh, allow the things that need to be said to be said, Lord, and that your word would be preached boldly. We pray for Pastor Brian and his family as uh, they're enjoying some time away. I pray that you would just uh, give them rest, Lord, and I do pray uh, for your church pray that the word uh, hits those who need to hear it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know that as Jesus did this, he had no reason to need to do this. Jesus, uh, it says here, was all God. He had finally come to the realization, not that he didn't know, but it was kind of here to show us. It says in uh, verse 3 that he, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. That verse explains that he was the God of the universe. He didn't have to do anything. If at any point he would have been like, you know what, I don't really want this to happen. I don't, I don't think this is how this should go down. He had the power to do any of that, and yet what did he do? He decided that I'm, I'm going to show you guys something. I'm going to teach you something as we do this. And uh, he, he, he goes and he does this, and um, he displayed this perfect act of humility by washing the disciples' feet. Now, if you don't know, in the culture that they lived in, uh, this would have been the lowest of low things that you could have done. Uh, you know, it would have been, I don't even know what to equate it to in today's world, right? Um, but it would have been uh, the lowest of low that he could have done, and the disciples didn't really know what to, to think about it. And so, you know, just thinking through that, I've been kind of pondering that all week, and I've, that's kind of why I wanted to come to this passage. I'm like, I, I want to somehow try to uh, uh, portray that, to, to, to get that through. And so I came home, and I was trying to put all this together, and uh, the passage is there, but uh, that's just not what God wanted me to do. And so with all that being said, uh, I was getting this together, and God showed me something completely different. And so that's what we're going to look at. So we know that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We know that he was humble in doing it. We know that he was teaching them something as doing this. But what were the disciples thinking throughout this whole thing? What, what was the role of disciples in all of this. What were they thinking after living with Jesus for three plus years, and now all of a sudden he's, he's, he's stooping down to, to wash their feet, and you know none of them, save Peter, really have a lot to say, and so they, they don't really know. So what were the disciples thinking through all this? And, you know, what we know Peter was thinking, because Peter always tells us what he was thinking, but uh, uh, today we're going to look at uh, just kind of their side of things. And so the title today, if you're a title kind of person, sorry, I didn't turn in an outline for them to print out. So if you want to take notes, you can. But the title today is Washing or Wandering. Washing or Wandering. Are we going to be a disciple who is washing as Jesus was or wandering as some of or one of the disciples were as we go through this? 
washing or wandering. The disciples had spent nearly every day with the Lord Jesus Christ for over three years. The problem was that, just like we do sometimes, just because they spend a lot of time doing something doesn't mean that their heart was in it at the end. Just because you spend a lot of time doing something doesn't mean your heart's behind it. Yeah, there are times that you spend a lot of time doing something because your heart is behind it, but just because you spend a lot of time doing something doesn't mean that you're really bought into what you're doing. Uh, you can work at a job for a lot of years and your heart's just not in it. And, you know, sometimes you need to get your heart right. I don't know, but uh, it, it just depends. But sometimes you can spend a lot of time doing something for all the wrong reasons. So the point is you can spend a lot of time doing something. You can spend three years following the God of the universe, but if your heart's not in it, there may be a problem. Spend a lot of time doing something. So today, leading into the Lord's Supper next week, that's, that's next week just so you know, uh, where we need to examine ourselves and be clean before the Lord, I have five questions for you to ask yourself as we go through this. I have five questions uh, to ask yourself as we go through this. And, you know, the que- these aren't the questions, but uh, we'll get to them. But are you, are you John in the story where, you know, you're as close to Jesus as you can get? Your head laying on his chest. I mean, you're just, you're intimate with him. You know, are, are you Judas in the story where you're, where you're just lost and you can't find your way? Are you Peter where you just can't keep your mouth closed at times? Uh, are you somewhere in between? You're there, but somewhere washed into the background. You're so caught up in what the world's got going on that you don't really know. You're just trying to get by. The way you answer these five questions will reveal to you if you're washing or wandering as we go into this. So uh, in verse 1, I'll read this again to kind of get going. I want to get through a lot of this, so we'll kind of keep moving here. And there's a lot that can be taught out of this. Obviously, this is not uh, extensive but this is what God showed me, so this is what I'm giving you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world into the Father, having loved his own, <clears throat> which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He didn't quit loving Judas. He said he loved him to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. The first question you have to ask yourself as the disciples were going through this is, am I guarding my heart? Am I guarding my heart? You know, these are things to ask yourself as you're going into the Lord's Supper next week. We know we're supposed to evaluate ourselves, to examine ourselves, make sure that we're clean before the Lord. Um, am I guarding my heart? The first disciple we come across in this passage as we talk about disciples here is Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas gets a, a hard time from us modern-day Christians, as he should in hindsight. You know, we know what happened. We know the end of the story. We know that he eventually is the one who betrays Jesus in the end, but at this point, that's not where he's at. At this point in the story, that's not where we find Judas. Remember that Judas was one of the 12 closest disciples, the closest people to Jesus while he was here on earth. And let it be a warning to you that even the best men can fall. He was one of the, the, the called, and he still fell. Do you think it was a surprise to Jesus? Think about this for a minute, that Judas eventually betrayed him. Do you think that it caught him off guard, that he was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. That's a plot twist. Like, uh, that wasn't in the last movie, right? I, I didn't ex- absolutely not. Jesus is all-knowing. He's He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knew he would fall into sin, just as God knew that Adam would sin in the garden, just as he knows that you and I are all imperfect. The only person that there ever was 
was Jesus. So be careful as you cast shade on Judas pre-betrayal because we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to follow the best we can. If Judas, one of the hand-picked disciples of Jesus, himself can fall into the trap of the devil, then know this, church, if we do not guard our hearts, we might find ourselves in the same situation. We might find ourselves in the same situation. Verse 2 says that the devil had at this point simply put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. It says that the devil, in verse 2, the devil having now put into his heart. You ever had a thought? Probably one that you shouldn't have had. The thought ever made it a little farther than just a thought? You haven't acted on it, but it's more of a desire at this point. That's what happens when you don't guard your heart. The devil, he, he, put, the, he put it in his heart. He put it in his heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 28, 14 says, Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. And Proverbs 28, 25, 26 says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. If you're trusting your heart, the Bible says you're a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. The Bible is full of verses like these. The world tells you to do what? To follow your heart. To go get what you want. To be happy. To, to, to follow your heart. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the world would tell you that? Well, who, who is the prince of this world, if you look at the previous chapter from where we're at right now? The prince of the world is the devil himself. You think it's a coincidence that the world tells you to follow your heart when the prince of the world is trying to get into your heart. He's trying any way to get in. Probably not a coincidence. It's no surprise the world tries to tell you to follow your heart because the devil knows that's where your weak spot is. Just like with Judas here, it starts very subtly in the heart if we don't guard it. If you don't guard your heart, it's very subtle. The, the, the mountaintop to the valley doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a week. It happens slowly, decision after decision after decision, right? It, it's a slow phase, what we talk about, right? You know, when you decide to do something, it, it takes commitment. It takes uh, stamina. It takes all those things, right? Um, my boys, both of my boys, I have two boys that are in high school, and they're, uh, they're playing football, okay? And so uh, football, you know, it starts in the fall, right? that's when we watch it on TV. Uh, football started the day after school got out. Uh, they're in weights every morning at six o'clock, four days a week. Uh, there's been seven on seven. There's been uh, multiple football camps. Uh, there's more football camps this week. That doesn't mean that the weights and conditioning go away. Uh, it's, it's, so it, it takes commitment. When you decide you're going to do something, when you decide that you're going to, I'm going to commit to this, it takes a lot of small decisions to make it worthwhile. When you decide that, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, I want to be the kind of disciple that really can bring glory to God, it's one small decision built upon one small decision. You don't just decide one day that, you know what, uh, I, want to, I want to go and be a missionary somewhere. I want to go and be a pastor somewhere. It, it starts with, uh, what can I do today, God? What decision can I make today? Uh, pastor Brian says, uh, take the next right step, whatever it is today. Right? The, the first question you have to ask yourself is am I guarding my heart? Because if you make the wrong decision there, it leads down the wrong road, right? That's the wrong road. It goes on to say in verse 6 in this passage, then cometh Simon Peter, 
you know, Peter's always got something to say. Then come as Simon Peter. Cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou watch my feet? He's like, no, you're not going to do this. You shouldn't do this. That's like the, the grossest thing you could do. I don't want you to do this, God. Don't, don't, don't wash my feet. Don't, don't do that. Jesus answered, answered him and said, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou wilt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. It's never good to say not so to the, to the Lord. We talked about that this morning in Passive Point. Jesus answered unto him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Well, that got his attention. Well, if you don't wash me, I have no part with you. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save, wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken the garments and sat down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? The second question you have to ask yourself is you're trying to decide, are you going to be the kind of disciple, dis, disciple, this kind of disciple that is washing or wandering? Is, uh, am I filled with pride? Is there pride in there? Right? Is there pride? The next disciple we come across in the passage is Peter. You know, good old speak before I think Peter. We like to call him uh, uh, foot and mouth Peter, right? And, and I want to say, before we go too far on the, the hard on, uh, you know, Peter train, I want to I wanna tell you that, that I'm, I'm a fan of, of what Peter did in the Bible. I'm a fan of uh, the way that he was. A lot of people want to cast shade on Peter because, you know, he spoke too soon or uh, he couldn't follow through at times, but, you know, he, he at least tried, Right? Does he do or say some things at times that are questionable? Absolutely. But my take on that's always been at least he's doing something. Right? At least he's doing something. At least he's trying. There are too many people in the body of Christ that know something needs to be done or, or know that they're called to do something, but they think, well, somebody else will do it. I, I got too much going on. At least Peter's doing something. Does that mean he did everything right? Absolutely not. I don't want you to confuse that at all. But at least he did something. You know, the, the old saying says you can't win if you don't play. You're not going to make the shot if you don't suit. The person's not going to save, get saved if you don't tell them. Peter understood this. Peter's bold, and that's what I like so much about him. People say he lacked faith, and he did at times, but yet he was the only disciple that had enough faith to step out of the boat in the first place. That says something. You know, we like to say, Peter, oh man, he, he, he didn't have enough faith to stand on the water. Uh, the other disciple stayed in the boat. He, he, he took the step. Sometimes you just need to take the step. Back to the point. The problem that comes with boldness sometimes is, whether we want it to or not, it reveals itself as pride. A lot of times when we see somebody who's bold, we kind of think that they're a little bit prideful. Um, you know, if you're not careful, if you're a bold kind of person, if you're a, a, a type A kind of person, sometimes that can come off as uh, prideful or arrogant or, or things like that. And that's not exactly what happens, but that's, that's what we see at, at times. And when, when he comes to Peter and he goes to wash his feet, he says, are you really going to wash my feet? And he says, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Well, then you need to wash all of me, right? Right now, get it done. And it, it comes off a little brash, a little prideful, a little... Uh, insensitive, little ununderstanding, right? We can call it a lot of different things. Uh, the point here is, Peter said, if, if this is what it's going to take to have a part with you, men, do it all. 
And obviously Christ says, you don't understand the picture here, Peter. I'm, I'm trying to show you something. Slow your roll and let's, uh, let's, let's learn as we go. It comes with pride at times when you're bold. I'm not saying, don't confuse me, that if you're bold, you're prideful. But what I am saying is that, again, the prince of the world knows how to take something that's good and turn it into something that's not so good. The devil knows how to take what, what your strengths are and to use them as your weaknesses if you're not careful. You have to understand that. Peter lacks the understanding of the picture Jesus is trying to show the disciples. And it's, he lets his, his, his natural boldness tells him to speak before he thinks. Sometimes that happens. If a little is good, a lot must be better is what Peter's thinking, right? If, 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 I, if I can have some, do it all, Jesus. If a little is good, it must be better. Wash all of me, Jesus. What he didn't understand was that he needed to be washed in the blood, not in the water. Christ was showing a picture here. He was trying to show that there's a washing that's coming, and it's, it's with the blood, the perfect blood. If you're someone who struggles with pride in your life, so you know that means I'm talking to um, every single person in this room, uh, you need to know that the adversary will use that as a tool against you. Now, I understand not everybody is as prideful as others, but everybody at some point battles with some sort of pride. And understand, understand that the devil can use that. He can use that against you. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 16-18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. That's usually where we stop that. But it says, better, is he, or better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. It says that it's better to be humble and have nothing than to have everything and not Christ. That's what he's trying to say. That's what they're saying in, in, in Proverbs. If day is the opposite of night, then it could be said that pride is the opposite of humility when we talk about humility. Humility is being God manifest in the flesh and choosing to stoop down and wash the feet of the one you know who's going to betray you. That's what humility is. We try to put a definition on what humility might be and what it, what it should look like. And humility is knowing that uh, I am the God of the universe and I'm going to wash the feet of the one that's going to betray me, knowing all along what's going to happen. That's what humility is. That's what humility is. Pride is digging your heels in and saying, I'm right, and, and I'm not going to back down until you apologize. There's a difference. Pride and humility are, are, are so far apart. Hopefully that's not you today, but if it is, I pray that for you, your sake, you find a way to let the pride go this week before the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is, is a way for us to evaluate. Sometimes we, we get something going on in life. We get something going on in a relationship uh, in, in, with a person or uh, with, with kids or with our spouse or with somebody at work and where there's just contention. And we think, well, eventually they'll get it figured out, and then we'll be fine, right? That's, that's how it works in my marriage. Eventually, Paige gets it figured out, and then we're fine. That's not usually how that works out, but uh, this is one of the few times she can't correct me. So um, not that she does anyway. Uh, the, the, the point is, we, we, at times, something goes on in life. We have an issue where there's a contention, and we think that, well, I'm right, and the other person's wrong, and until they figure it out, I'm going to dig my heels in. I'm not giving an inch. Is that what Christ was doing here? Stooping down to wash their feet, knowing all along that in mere days, 
Judas was going to turn him over? Like, is that what he was doing, digging his heels in? But you don't understand, Jason. You don't understand what that person did. You don't understand what they said. You don't, you don't know the, the logistics of my situation, and I'm just going to tell you that that doesn't matter because Jesus said to lay it down. The Lord's Supper is next week, and for your sake and the body's sake, I pray that if you have something like that going on, you let it go. You let it go. The only person who ever had the right to be prideful was Jesus, and what example was he giving? Humility, the opposite of pride. So the second question you have to ask yourself is, am I filled, am I filled with pride? Do I have pride in, in my life? When I'm trying to, you know, I, I could ask you at the beginning, what kind of disciple do you want to be? Yes, I definitely want to be the disciple that's just like Jesus. I want to wash their feet. Man, line up right now. Let's just do it. But sometimes there has to be a little action that goes with your words. So as you're going through this, I pray that you actually ask yourself these questions this week as you meditate in the Word, because I know that that's what you do each day, that you ask yourself these questions, that you grow in the Lord. The next question you have to ask yourself, number three, is do I have a lack of action? Do I have a lack of action? In verse 12, it says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I have done unto you? There, other than Peter saying what he said, there's nothing recorded that the disciples had much to say throughout this. Uh, maybe they did. I don't know. We can find out when we get there, I guess. Uh, I'm guessing it was pre- pretty silent. Not a lot of, uh, hey, you know, what would you think of those people we talked to today, you know, as Jesus is down there scrubbing their feet and, you know, uh, dinner was good. And you know, I, I don't think there was a lot of that going on. Um, you know, sometimes in life, you just know that the situation requires silence. It requires uh, a little meditation, a little um, reflection. Uh, Jesus bows down. He does it. Not a lot goes on other than Peter saying what he says. And Jesus asks him, do you, do you know what I just did? Know you what I have done unto you? Verse 13, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Well, we don't want to do that, Jesus. Verse 15, For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than he that uh, sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye that do them. The third question you have to ask yourself is, do I have a a lack of action? When I'm evaluating myself as a disciple and how I'm growing in the Lord and how I'm following Jesus and what my spiritual walk looks like, do I have a lack of action? As we move on, Jesus gives a subtle nudge towards those who are prone to inaction. You know people that are like that. They just don't really want to be that involved, right? Um, I ask my wife sometimes when, like, she's cleaning or she's cooking or, you know, a lot of times, like, if we have... Uh, disciple, discipleship people will come over and she'll be cooking. And I'm like, babe, what can I do to help without really getting involved, right? Uh, what, what can I do to help that's not really going to take a lot of, of my time? It's a joke, obviously. But um, there's sometimes people are like that. They just don't really like to be involved. They, they want to be kind of apart from a distance. Uh, they want to be at church, but uh, work in the ministry? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, they want all the benefits, but none of the work. He kind of gives a nudge towards that. As I I read this passage, especially verse 13 and 17, verse 13 says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And then it goes on in verse 17, he says, and if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. 
if you do them. It reminds me a lot of people in the church today. I don't mean HPF per se, but again, I guess if the shoe fits, you might have to wear it. Jesus says, if I do these things, then you should too. And if you know these things, then happier ye. It doesn't stop there, though. Too often, people are really excited about knowing a lot of things. They want to know all about what the Bible says about this, or the Bible says about that. He says, these are the things that I've done, you should do them too. And it will fulfill you. Happy ye will be if, if, if you actually do them. You can know to do the right thing, but until you do it, it doesn't do any good to anybody. We can come to church every day of the week. We can post all of the Jesus talk on our face space page, right? We can go through D1 and D2 and, you know, D3 and 4. And you, you, I'm just kidding, obviously, but you should get into discipleship. You should do those things. But if you're just going through the motions, right, we can over-spiritualize everything in our life. We can, what Jesus is saying here is knowing it doesn't amount to a hill of beans if you're not going to do something with it. You can know all about what the Bible says. If you're not going to do something with it, who are you helping? What are you growing? If you have already confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you are saved, if you're born again, you've got your get into heaven free ticket punched, done, and you plan on doing nothing other than just learning from that day forward, who are you helping? You're already guaranteed access. From the day you get saved moving forward, the judgment seat of Christ, you will be judged for what you did from that day moving forward for him. What are you going to do with it? This church is full of opportunity to get involved, to learn, to do all that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't learn. I, I pray that you do. If you've been through D1, you can sign up for D2. Get, a, get signed up. We're getting ready to start in September. It's coming up. Coming up way too fast. Um, but you should be involved. HBI. We need, we need some students for HBI. Who's ready? What I'm saying is you can, you can, man, you can make that head so large, but if you don't ever find an output, a way to put it out, I had a friend of mine tell me one time, you're going to become very spiritually constipated. You've got to find a way to do something with what you know. It's great to learn. It really is, and you should. But what are you learning for? You've got to be learning for a purpose to give it to somebody else. Now, I understand, you may have just gotten saved. You may be young in the Lord, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really want to, like, botch this up, and like, that's great. There's an opportunity for everybody, right? There's something for everybody to do, and I understand that you might not know what to say, but what I'm telling you is if enough time goes by and you've just chosen not to learn, you're going to be judged for the things that you could have learned that you chose not to, right? We understand that, you know, obviously, uh, to whom much is given, much is required, and you know, we have a standard of the Word of God and the things that we know that are right here available, right? We know that those things, we, will, you know, we, we are held accountable for those things, right? We understand that. Like, I, I have a standard with my kids. You know that these are the rules. You choose not to you know, obey the rules. Well, I didn't know. Well, you knew the rules. They were right here, right? They were all written down. Um, it, you know, it's like a car payment. You decide not to make your car payment. Well, guess what? Like, eventually, they're going to come and get that thing. That's just the way that it works, okay? You knew the rules. I personally believe that in a church like this, if you spend year after year after year after year after year, and you just choose to not learn because it's like, oh, I'm just good coming to church on Sunday. Yeah, I'll learn it eventually. I'm sure Pastor Brian will bring it up eventually. These things are available over and over and over again. I think you're going to be held accountable for those things too, right? 
I, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't have scripture to prove that, but I just know that that's the way that if it's available and you have every opportunity and you're just like, well, I just, I really like watching Netflix. And so uh, I'll do that instead of go to D2. Uh, I, I just really like, you know, swinging the golf club. I do too. I just, I really like to work. Like I, and I'll, I'll get to that other stuff later. I'm just telling you, if you pass by enough times over and over and over again, like I, I have a feeling that at the judgment seat of Christ, that might get brought up. You know, what, what about the things that, you know, you, you could have helped with? What about the ministry that you could have stepped into, but you just chose not to? You were equipped. You, you could have done it. It was right there. You just like, yeah, I don't, I'm good. I, I, I don't know. We can do all those things, but if you don't do something with it, it there's going to be a problem. The, the parable of the talents talks about this a little bit. In Matthew 25, I'm just going to read this. It says, uh, verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered them uh, his, his goods. And unto the one he gave five talents, and to another two, and another one, to every man according to his uh, several ability. And straightway he took a journey that he had, uh, that he had then he... Uh, he that had received the five talents went and traded them the same and made them five other talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And a long time, the Lord, uh, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so that he had received five talents and brought him the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make the ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. The Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping thou where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thy ten, uh, thou hast uh, is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strolled. Thou oughtest therefore to put thy money to the exchangers, then at my coming I should receive mine own with usury. Take therefore thy talent from him, and give it unto them which have ten talents. For unto uh, every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath an abundance, but from he that hath not shall be taken away that he which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If, if, if you know the things that you need to do, if, if the Bible's telling you, hey, you need to take this step and you just choose not to, if, if you feel like God is telling you, you need to grow, you need to stop doing this, you need to start doing this, whatever it is that the Lord is telling you to do it and you choose not to, what does it say? You, you need to invest what you've been given into other people church maybe we should take some of what we quote unquote know and actually go somewhere with it maybe you should take what you do know and actually go somewhere with it tell somebody with it we can say we're all about the mission but the great commission says we need to do something about it right when was the last time you actually shared the gospel with somebody when when was the last time you actually shared the gospel with somebody I'm not talking about the random guy on the street, although he needs to hear it too, but actually share the gospel with somebody you cared about, somebody that you're going to be at their funeral when they die, and you just never could actually speak. Why? Oh, you were scared. You didn't want to. You were uncomfortable. Like, the Bible says, go, do, 
and you're just like, well, I'm not so sure that's what I want to do. I'm not, not, not today. Not so, Lord. Sometimes our lack of action is deafening. You know, our social media may say, Jesus this and Jesus that, but our lack of action is screaming, I don't care enough to do something, to say something. I don't love you enough, because if I did, I would try. Now, I, I understand these are like, these are kind of hard things. You know, nobody likes to hear about, you know, I, I've got family that are lost. It, it's, it's hard. Um, it's going to be harder to see them in a box and know that I didn't say something. It's going to be harder to know where they ended up than to know what I, I just wasn't obedient. You know, I understand, we, we, we've got I go going on, we need to be going, you know, and, and doing and sharing and doing all that. Can we not at least talk to somebody that we love? Do we not care enough? Yeah, I care. No, your action is deafening. Your inaction is deafening. Church, sometimes we, and I say we because I've been there, and I'm, I'm there a lot of times, we get busy with the ministry here inside the church, and we forget that there's a whole world who needs the ministry outside the church. Don't misunderstand me. We need to minister here. But Jesus did it both ways. He ministered to his disciples, but he also went to the lost. Verse 16 says, the servant is not greater than his Lord, so we need to take that to heart today. We need to do what Jesus did. So if we're not doing the same things, then maybe we got the cart ahead of the horse. He leads, we follow. It's not the other way around. A lot of times we, we kind of get it the other way. He leads, we follow. He says go, and, and we go. We don't say, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and then try to force a square peg into a round hole. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The question you have to ask yourself is, do I have a lack of action? Am I willing to grow? Am I willing to go? Am I willing to do what he's called me to do? Because sometimes the lack of action is screaming, and, and you think nobody notices. And it's not about people noticing. I'm talking, you think Jesus doesn't notice. Verse 18 goes on to say, I speak not of you all. I know who am I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now uh, I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He's, he's given some prophecy here. He, he knows what's going to happen. Verse 20, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me uh, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another. They're, they're in shock. Oh my gosh, what? We've been following you for three years. Are you serious? Doubting of whom he spoke. Then there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. He's talking about John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned unto him that he should ask who it should be of him that he spoke. Then he lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Right? Peter's like, I, for once, I'm not going to say something. John, you ought to ask him. Ask him. You know, you've had kids before. They're like, you need to go ask dad, but I'm not doing it. You ask him. No, you ask him. No, you do it, right? And like, the, Peter's like, hey, um, who, who's he talking about? It's not me, is it? Ask him, John. You're closer to him than anybody. Like, you ask him. They don't, they don't know what's going on. The, the, the next question you have to ask yourself when you're trying to decide what kind of disciple you're going to be is, is my fellowship disconnected? Is my fellowship disconnected? You may be like, what does that mean? As we move on in the passage, we see Jesus begin to 
prepare for his betrayal. He knows what's coming. Jesus had mentioned this before. He's, he's mentioned this to his disciples beforehand. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'll have to die. He said all of these things multiple times, right? But the disciples, you know, they're not, what's he talking about? They probably saw it as metaphorical way. You know, that's how he did. He, maybe he's talking in a parable. I don't, I don't know. Um, he did that a lot. But, but now the gravity of what Jesus is telling them, it's just him and the disciples begins to set in. These 12 disciples had done everything with Jesus and with each other for over three years. Now think about that for a minute. Nearly every day with the same person, right? Now I understand you have a spouse. You, you, I can do that. But like there's, there's not a lot of people. I, I, love, I love y'all. There's not a lot of people I want to spend every day with for three years in a row. It, it's just like, it's just me. Imagine that for a minute. Someone you're that close to and finding out that they're not what you thought they were. They're in shock. They have no idea what's happening. This happens in relationships sometimes. People are best friends. People are in the ministry together. Sometimes people get married. Then at some point, the wheels fall off the wagon and they think that they were lied to the whole time. You were never what I thought you were. Church, that may be the case, but let me tell you, a lot of times it's actually the opposite. A lot of times it's not like that. A lot of times just because somebody falls, it doesn't mean that they were broken the entire time. It it doesn't mean that sometimes. Casting Crowns has a a song, and I'm sure most of you heard it. It's called Slow Fade, and it's very true. I I could be wrong, and and I I guess I'll put it on my list of questions that I want to ask when I get there, right? I'm sure if you don't have a list, you've got to start a list. Like, I have a list of questions, and when I get there, like, when I get my turn, I'm like, hey, what about this? Like, I really didn't know, and I just want to ask God, how did, that, how did this exactly play out? There's a lot of things in the Bible that aren't just completely there. I, I want to know how certain things work. Like, this is, on my, this is on my I want to ask when I get there. But I would guess that Judas wasn't always the betrayer he ended up being. It's a slow fade. Nobody goes from born-again saint to fallen saint overnight. It's a slow fade. It's one bad decision here, one blurred line there. It's one day out of the world or out of the word here, one week out of the word here. It's one missed Sunday here, one month out of church there. Church, one of the most dangerous places we can find ourselves is in the church, but not really being in the church. Picking up what I'm saying? Picking up what I'm laying down? One of the most dangerous places you can find yourself is here physically, but not here mentally. You're going through the motions, and you're just waiting for the bomb to go off. You're just waiting for just the right thing. You're just waiting for, for I don't know. That's, that's one of the worst places we can find ourselves. Church, it doesn't matter if you're here, if you're not here. Judas was there, but he wasn't, I mean, we see, he wasn't really there. This is why fellowship is so important. Fellowship is so important. And this is coming, and I'll be honest with you, from someone who, to be completely honest, doesn't really like to be around people that much. I really don't. If you, if you know me personally, most of, most of the people in past months are like, you talk all the time. That's because that's what I do on Sunday mornings is I get up and teach. But uh, if, there's a lot of people that just don't really know. I, I'm a pretty introverted person. Uh, I don't really just go up and talk to people. Um, that's what my wife does. She loves to talk to people, and it's great. She can talk to them for me. 
Um, and I don't have a problem with people. It's not that at all. It's just the way that I was created. And I'm kind of a secluded kind of person. I, if I have something I need to say, I'll say it. And if I don't, then I won't. And sometimes that's offensive to people. And I, I'm just like, that's just how I am. You know, but fellowship is much more important. Coming from somebody who doesn't really love all of that. Fellowship is so key in your life. Fellowship is so key in your life. Where there is no fellowship, there's no accountability. And when there's no accountability, we go back to the book of Judges where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. The devil preys on people who have no fellowship or accountability, right? You can't tell me I'm wrong. It's the truth. First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's going to be hard to devour somebody who's wrapped around in a group of people and accountability trying to keep them from you know, doing the wrong thing, or, you know, that's what accountability does. You know, the lion, he picks on the, the slow one of the bunch, right? The one who's out by himself. That's what the devil is. He's the roaring, he's seeking whom he may devour. At HBF, you have no excuse for not having fellowship other than you simply choose not to. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it can drink. You know, and most of you guys know, most of you are involved, but at HBF we have what we call uh, adult Bible fellowships, right? And there's, I think, five classes. You can call them Sunday school classes. You can call them whatever you want. Uh, it's like-minded people uh, who get together at 9 o'clock. I know you're still probably asleep by then. Uh, but it, they get together at 9. Uh, and, and, like, so I'll just speak for Passpoint because we, we have Passpoint over here. Uh, we're the, quote-unquote, young adult class, although I'm not near as young as I once was. But uh, we like to have a good time. We like to laugh. Uh, we like to talk about life. We take the first 20 minutes, and we just, we just chat. What's happening this week? What's going on? And then we get in the Word, and we have a good time in the Word, and there's fellowship, and there's accountability, and we know people, and we do stuff outside of the church together. That's what fellowship is. All of the classes do things like this, and yet people are like, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. You're not interested in uh, people who are like you uh, desiring to do things with you. That's interesting, because that's what the world is always looking for. Those things are available to you at HBF all the time, every week. Find one and get involved. If you're not involved, try all of them, right? See what fits you. When COVID came a couple years ago, uh, the pastors, that we were worried that disconnected fellowship might be a problem, that, you know, if people don't have the accountability of being at church over a long extended period of time, what might make them come back? You know, some people obviously are, are just, they're grounded. But some people, like, you just worry, like, if, if they don't have the fellowship, that might that might not work. This could be a problem. That was one of our biggest concerns. I remember, you know, sitting in a meeting talking about that. And um, it, with the ABFs, it didn't miss a beat. I can only speak for Passpoint, but like we didn't miss a beat. You know, we met online, which I understand. I, I actually don't understand. I do very little technology at all. You saw at the beginning. That's a very good example. Uh, no technology at all. But but yet we didn't miss a beat because the fellowship is that important. You know, having people to lean on to do things with, at a distance, or however that worked out, I don't know, it was a long time ago, we didn't miss a beat. Why? Because technology is that good? No. Not because I'm that good at technology? No. Because fellowship was that important to those people. You have to have it. Judas didn't fall off the wagon in a day, the same way you won't either. It won't be, if you're going to fall, it's going to be through a slow fade of disconnected fellowship, and the adversary will be there waiting, like he always was if you don't protect yourself. Disconnecting yourself from fellowship is very dangerous. And you're not going to be a washing disciple if that's what you find yourself doing. 
The last question you have to ask yourself, and we'll be out of here. The last few verses, verse 26 to 30. Do I have unrepented sin? Do I have unrepented sin? Verse 26. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, when he had dipped it in the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, and after the sop, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then saith Jesus unto them, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew what intent he spake unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, he was the one that kept the money, uh, that Judas had said something unto him, but uh, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then receiving, he then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. The disciples didn't really know what was going on. They were just like, okay, he left. Maybe he's got some business to take care of. They didn't know. Jesus knew. Judas knew. Sometimes when you find yourself in that state, you know. Nobody else might know. You might be at church every week. You might be in the ministry. Nobody knows but you. And you know that it's just about to implode. But you just won't reach out. You just won't ask for help. There's just something too big in your life that you just don't want to give up. Do I have unrepented sin? As the passage winds down, we see the inevitable end of Judas after making a slew of bad choices over time. It was one bad choice after another, small one after small one. It wasn't ever one huge bad choice. It was a slow fade, slow slide. Notice the difference between verse 2 and verse 27. Verse 2, it says, The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And then in verse 27, it says, After the sop, Satan entered unto him. There was, there was a time period here. Something changed. It wasn't like this the whole time, is what I'm trying to say. He wasn't always fallen. He at some point was following Jesus. He at some point was a part of what was going on. And after bad choice after bad choice, a slow slide, maybe this isn't quite as bad as I, they make it seem. It's not that big of a deal. Something changed. Church, let me, I'm sorry, it, it's not until the sin of Judas becomes unrepentant that the sin, and I'm sorry, it's not, a, it's not until the sin becomes unrepentant sin that the devil enters into him. Church, let me tell you something that, you probably already know, unless you're simply in denial of some kind, but you're not perfect. A lot of times we think that, you know, I've kind of got it put together. I've kind of got this Jesus thing figured out, right? I come to church, I do my thing, I work in the ministry, shake some hands, you know, kiss some babies, whatever they say it, I don't know, and, and I'm out the door, right? I got this thing figured out. Uh, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Brian is the greatest man that I know, and I'm not just saying that. He's not perfect. And I would lead him, like they say, you know, would you jump off a cliff with your friend? If he did it, I probably would. Because I'd be like, he knows something that I don't, right? I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. But what I'm telling you is we're not perfect. You're that way because of your daddy's daddy and his daddy named Adam. He chose to sin. And guess what? Now you are too. That's just the way it is. You don't have really a choice in the matter. You're just lost. Until you ask for Christ. You're just lost. Try as we may to fight it off, the sin controls us. Think about that when you were lost. You could have tried to do the right thing and you still couldn't. The sin controls us. Our wants, our desires, our flesh just wants more and more. Jesus is the only way out of it. He's the only way. Most of you know that. 
Even as a born again believer, we still struggle with it. Romans 7 tells us our story now. You know Romans 7, the, the Dr. Seuss passage, right? Let me just read a little bit of it to you because you've read it and you're like, what did he just say? Uh, it says, Romans 7, verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul's talking to the church at Rome. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would I would not that, that I do. I can't even say it. Now I do that I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. What did he say? Okay. Like, I taught through Romans not very long ago on Passpoint. And like, it took me a long time to slow down and break this thing down. And like, so let me just for a minute, I'll, let, me, let me speak in tongues for a minute and translate this for you, what Paul's trying to say. Now, we have the right motive now that we're saved, but we still have this skin on, this flesh, right? We've got the right motive, but we've still got this skin on that still wants to sin. So there's a constant battle over who's going to win. The new man in Christ or the old man in sin. That's kind of what he's trying to say. Now, I was, I was kidding about the tongues thing, right? Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. The, the sign gift of tongues was given for a short amount of time in the book of Acts for a specific, perfect, specific purpose. That's what that's all about. But uh, the, the point is, Paul's trying to say, we have the right motive. I want to serve Christ with everything that I've got. I want to do the right thing. I want to be the greatest husband and father and minister and all those things that I can be. But sometimes the things that I want, those are the things that don't actually get done because I'm too busy doing the things that I said I wasn't going to do. And that, he like says that over, like, that's what he's trying to say. And it's a battle every day. And I understand, we understand the battle between the sin and the flesh. What I'm telling you is you have a choice. That's what sometimes we just don't understand. You have a choice. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm just too far into it. You have a choice. It's when sin is unrepentant that it's a problem. Obviously, sin's a problem at all, but when you're saved, like the blood of Christ has washed it, it's when you become unrepentant. You're not willing to change. You're not willing to, that, that's when it's an issue. It's when Judas said, I'm not, I, I won't give up. That's when the devil entered into them. What Paul is saying in Romans is the same thing that I'm trying to tell you here today. You will struggle with sin in your life. It is when you choose to be unrepentant over that sin that the devil has the upper hand. As believers today, we have the power to choose not to sin. You, you have the power to choose not to. Now, I understand. I was talking to somebody um, recently. I don't remember what the, the context was, but um, they, they, were, they were asking something along the lines of how, how can you, somebody was asking, how can you prove that, that, that Jesus is real? Or I don't remember exactly the context. But anyway, like, it, obviously you want to take them to the Bible. But they're like, well, I don't believe that. Well, well the, the next best thing I can show you is my life. Uh, I'm a changed person. Now, you might say, well, you can choose to live that way, right? You can choose to do the right thing every day, and you're right. Today, I can. I've been saved for 13 years-ish. I don't know. My wife's just looking at me, so uh, math's hard. Anyway, I've been saved for a long time. I'm telling you that the day I got saved, for me to suddenly have the power to not do the things that I was doing, that was a miracle. You might say, well, it was your choice to do the right thing today, to not say that, to do those things. You're right. Today, it's much easier. Because it's become a habit. But the best evidence I can give you is my life as a newly saved man, having the power to do things that I'd never done before or not do the things that I had always done before. 
to not think the things, to not do the things. And it was hard. But what I'm trying to tell you, church, is you have the power to not do those things. Sometimes we, we, we have this mindset that, well, I'm just, I'm just bound to it. That's the way I was born. I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. Or, I mean, come on. I've seen people overcome through Christ because we can't overcome anything on our own. Anything. Right? You know, they have a saying about redheads. They're sometimes mad and angry. And my wife's very redheaded, and uh, she's not anymore. I'm not saying that she was before, but I'm saying she's not now. Sometimes Christ, sometimes Christ gives you the power to do things that you don't have on your own. That's evidence enough that Christ is who he says he is, and he can do anything in anyone's life. That's how I can prove to you that Jesus is real, because it happened to me. I've seen it happen to other people. We have the power to not live that life. Sometimes something we never had, we had the power not to sin. That's something we never had when we were lost. But, but I do, we do find ourselves, if we do find ourselves on the wrong end of a bad decision, we have the blood of Christ to cleanse us from that sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. I personally believe that Judas was like so many people today. He was slowly faded into sin. It was when the sin became unrepentant meaning that he just didn't care enough or believe enough anymore that the devil took hold of him. Something changed between verse 2 and verse 27. Something changed. Something changed. Things change in your life. It's how you adapt and move to those changes. You react. How you give God the glory through the hard times. That's, that's how you grow. You, you don't grow when everything's just great. I'm just telling you, you might grow, but it's very slow. Uh, it's, it's when the bombs go off. And you react. That's, that's when God grows your character. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do I have unrepentant sin in my life? That's the fifth question. Notice that each one builds on one another. You don't just go straight to, I have unrepentant sin. It starts with, am I guarding my heart? And, you know, if I'm not doing that, then, you know, maybe I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I got a little too much pride. They kind of build on one another. Start to get a little too much pride. Then all of a sudden, I'm disconnecting from fellowship because, well, I'm better than those people anyway. And, Right, that's what we start to think when we're prideful, and the next thing you know, um, you've got some sort of sin in your life, and you just, you're just not willing to give it up. Fall away. It happens, but it doesn't have to happen. As we close today, remember that next week's the Lord's Supper. So as we spend time with the Lord this week, meditate on these five questions. We want to be clean individually and as a whole as we come to the Lord's table next week, so let this be a guide as you evaluate yourself in preparation for that. So let's pray. Father, I, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for uh, just the, 